Hello and welcome back to Accommodation Matters. I'm Darren Ellis, Higher Education Engagement Director at Unite Students, and this is the second episode of our two-parter on preparing for the return of students in September. In this instalment, we'll be considering what plans you have in place for September, how they've been driven by students' needs, and how COVID may shape the delivery of those plans. Our first guest is Anita Suman from the University of Birmingham. Welcome, Anita. Could I ask you to introduce yourself, please? Yes. Hi, thanks, Darren. Um, I'm Anita, and I'm the Director of Accommodation and Operations for the University of Birmingham. Thank you, Anita. We're also joined by Rebecca O'Hare from the University of Leeds. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Darren, and thank you so much for the invite to the podcast. I'm very excited to be here. I'm Rebecca O'Hare, and I am the Assistant Director of Residence Life and the Accommodation Office at the University of Leeds. Thank you, Rebecca. And our final guest is Claire Odie from Unite Students. Thanks for joining us, Claire. Thanks for having me, Darren. I'm Claire. I am Head of Customer Experience at Unite Students. Well, it's great to be able to bring you all together. In our previous episode on this topic, we talked about the incoming student cohort and their expectations and concerns around coming to university for the first time after 18 months of disruption. And Unite Students' recent survey, released in June, found that applicants were most looking forward to meeting new people and making new friends at university. And there was a great desire to build community in their accommodation. So, Anita, do these findings tally with what you've seen at Birmingham? And how much will this play into your welcome plans for incoming students? Yes, Darren, thanks for that. The findings absolutely do tally with what we're seeing and expect to see coming this academic year. I mean, for the incoming first year undergrads, they're coming straight to us from A-levels or or equivalent. You know, they've already seen 18 months of disruption and will most likely have turned 18 during lockdown. So they've missed out on kind of rites of passage that many of us have looked fondly back on when we went to university. That folks tend to experience, you know, during that post-UCSE education journey, it it has been swiped from them. I think what this means is that particularly for post-18 cohort, there's quite a lot of anticipation around what the first year will look like in terms of their journey into the wider world. And I think that this has added a pressure for us and and for them, because many of them have encountered kind of the aspects of moving through post-GCSE years. I think for the University of Birmingham, in order to help prepare them for this journey, we are planning much more intensive focus on certain aspects of university life. So the things that we would take um, for granted, such as, you know, the basic safety and security and nighttime economy, a real focus around sexual and mental health advice and what it means to build new friendships and relationships. Um, we're focusing on that much more than we have in previous years. And I think the other thing that we are, we are looking at more is shared living agreements with detailed follow-up for individual flat groupings because, you know, they haven't had the same year as, as previous cohorts. This also, you know, it plays out for students who are transitioning into the private sector from university accommodation. They would have had a limited shared living experience. So we've got a community team in the University of Birmingham, which we're really blessed with. It's, it's a division that we set up over three years ago. It's worth its weight in gold, especially this last kind of 18 months. And the community living group have been working with the Guild of Students, which is our students union um, and and our student services and our local community leaders to kind of create a really strong welcome back. And as you can imagine, you know, University of Birmingham's nestled in quite a big city with lots of universities. 
we need to make our University of Birmingham welcome quite distinctive. Quite a challenge, but we're, we're very prepared for it. Well, there's a, a lot that you've mentioned there. I'm just going to pick on one area. So in terms of that building new friendships and relationships, in your opinion, has the sort of pandemic created or exacerbated even a social skills gap that more young people will find it harder to meet and talk to new people? And if that's the case, what is the University of Birmingham specifically doing to help those students build those new friendships and relationships? It's a really good question, actually, Darren. We actually workshop this in our in our senior management team because we had to take our our team members way back to September of, of last year, where students were arriving in accommodation, expecting to meet friends, and they had to stay in their household groups. And you think about the decisions that those students would have had to make within the next coming months. They would usually prepare who's going to live in the house for the second year and and go out to a HIMO market. That's quite typical for Birmingham. Well, for all of the UK students, actually, they had to make a decision on how they're going to make friends, where they're going to stick to their household or how are they going to meet people outside of their flat. So we had students actually in a real critical point, which they had to decide if they were going to make friends, they would have to kind of break the rules and attend flat parties, which we were advising them against. So we have experienced that students are struggling to find friendship groups. Absolutely. And in October, we actually arranged something called Match Up Catch Up, where in conjunction with the Guild of Students, we actually were partnering students up based on their preferences of what they like, what they dislike, to make friendship groups. And it's a real interesting concept because you think about a friend finder app and there really isn't one. There's lots of apps for other things, but not for finding friends. So that Match Up Catch Up is going to continue into the next year. We're also geared up for uh, flat disputes, house disputes. So we've got a team which is prepared for complaints when they happen because we know things will go wrong and it's how quick we respond to those students and how quick we provide um, kind of a wraparound support for them so they know that it's okay if they haven't found the right friendship group. Brilliant. Um, some fascinating insights there. Thank you, Anita. And, and turning to you, Rebecca, how similar is this to your experience at Leeds? And how much will university and accommodation teams need to do to support students in building uh, those communities? In all honesty, I think quite a lot. And certainly in recent years, we've seen the creation of new ResLife teams. As an example, a number of universities as a response to the demand from students wishing to have that smoother experience of meeting new people just like them and to settle in with ease. But also, I think because of the value of what ResLife professionals do, it's kind of having its moment or coming of age, I think, in recent years. And at Leeds, what the pandemic has done has really shone a positive light on the hard work of our ResLife teams and the lengths at which they've gone to in order to ensure students have what they need, are triaged effectively, or have an opportunity to feel they're still part of the Leeds community despite the pandemic that's taking place. And so we recognise that next academic year, it's definitely still going to present some community building challenges. And so we're increasing our full-time resource to further complement our 70 ResLife assistants, our numerous hall exec teams that we run in collaboration with Leeds University Union, of which we have a really close working relationship, and our large group of residential and non-residential wardens. What we really want to do as well is assist students to plan their own events and activity and aid in funding those too. And of course, 
to continuously encourage students to participate in LUU events, activities, societies, or any activity that's seen as positive in the community. The interesting thing for us as well is that what I'm quite excited about is that two of our new positions will in fact be student internships. So we'll have the opportunity to hear from them directly about their university experience in the last 12 to 18 months and via their roles, which are going to be heavily focused on building community and residence and improving that sense of belonging, they can bring new ideas and an informed experience that certainly I or members of my team have not had and utilize that in a way to support the next cohort arriving in September. So I'm quite excited about that. And, you know, it leads, we don't want students to be prevented from socialising in residence if they want to. We'll do all that we can to ensure this is possible. And hopefully government advice, if it's given, will not preclude our students from being able to socialise normally. Thank you, Rebecca. There's much to discuss there. I just want to pick up on one point, if I may. And you, you referenced hall exec teams, I think you said. Mm-hmm. How, how do you go about recruiting those teams? How do you position them to help them become successful? Yeah, so the whole exec teams um, are groups of students who are volunteers and we have one in all of our residences and how they might perhaps be viewed in other universities is uh, that they're elected, but actually it leads we don't elect them. If you want to volunteer, if you want to put your hand up and participate and be part of the community and contribute to doing something that is positive to help people meet each other and settle in, well, then let's find a way to help you to do that. So we run it in collaboration with Leeds University Union, who has a dedicated resource to oversee that and they work directly with our ResLife team so our ResLife manager and um, our ResLife coordinator as well and so we fund that exec in the sense that we provide them with funding to run events and activities and they have access to branding and we utilize social media and this time this actually in September we're going to have Instagram accounts for every one of our halls residences so that actually they can use that to reach students where they're at so we try and make them a very um vocal part of the community in terms of reaching students about what they do and I guess make them quite visible as best we can and that can be a challenge sometimes because you can advertise everything and anything to students and they still won't see it and um, but that's something that we're really working on to kind of push the brand of ResLife as a whole but also RLAs, wardens and hall exec teams too. Lovely. Thank you very much. And it is fascinating that both you and Anita talked about the you know the key importance of that relationship with the Student Union Student Guild. I know that the findings from the Unite Students Applicant Survey also suggested these students, this this incoming cohort, have a fear of the unknown. You know, contacting flatmates ahead of arrival was significantly more popular in this survey than in a similar survey conducted a few years ago. 59% of students expressed anxiety about not fitting in at university. Only one in six said they didn't mind who they shared accommodation with. So with all of that in mind, Claire, I'd like to come to you now and ask you really how Unite Students might help to build student communities in September. Yeah, that's a really good question, Darren. And, you know, the applicant data survey has has given us so much information about who our customers are and where they're coming from this year. That building community for us starts before they arrive. We've got a dedicated get ready with us social media campaign to answer their queries before they get to us and help them to prepare for for settling in. And we know that they are socially anxious about meeting new people. So our My Unite app helps them to meet their flatmates, to meet people in their properties before they arrive with us in September. And that goes for, for new customers as well as returning students. 
We've got a, an online common room with guides for settling in and living with us. And our big piece this year is a brand new resident ambassador program where we are using our, our student resident ambassadors to really help build that community. And with the data from the survey, we know what our students need, what they're interested in, and we'll use that to really tailor a personal program in each property. Lovely. Thank you, Claire. I was going to ask as well, uh, are we seeing greater parental engagement this year? Are we finding that they are more interested in what their child can expect to experience when coming to university? And, and if so, how is this being managed at the moment? Well, we certainly heard that from our HE partners of that parent involvement, and we are seeing it through our, our customer service channels as well. Um, we are getting a lot more contact from parents and guardians asking questions, sometimes on behalf of their, their children, but sometimes as well as. So whilst we still do hear a lot from our customers, the parents are, are also, we also like to know what's going on, um, especially in regards to the welcome experience and what they need to do to prepare for university life with us. Lovely. Thank you very much. Rebecca, these, the themes that we've talked about already about community and belonging uh, are particularly relevant to your wealth of res life knowledge and experience. How might res life activities differ this year compared to a normal year? And what role can ResLife teams play in helping students to feel like they belong? Well, certainly in the current academic year, pretty much everything that was run was virtual, which interestingly for many ResLife teams was a bit of a revelation where we all collectively kind of said, why didn't we think of this before? Because what the virtual experience offered was this opportunity to engage students in a very different manner but also to attract a different kind of student, the student who perhaps didn't like to attend events with large groups of other students because they were strangers to them or they found it intimidating or it made them anxious. So this year, our hope, and it's absolutely part of our current plans, is that we'll bring back more face-to-face -face group activity. But we do intend to take what we've learned from that virtual experience and offer activity in this way but run it in a way that complements the in-person. And I think we'll see that from lots of um, ResLife teams from across the UK. Anita mentioned um, a platform that she used to help students meet each other, like the app that they used. And similarly, we used a platform called wonder.me, where we invited students to come into these rooms that when you moved around the rooms, it was like a virtual living room. Depending where you were in that space, you could have a conversation with somebody, but somebody virtually on the other side of the room couldn't hear that conversation. So it was actually a really interactive way to meet people. And it was quite fun, too. And we um, tried it out with lots of staff as well and some student staff that we have to see if it would be popular. And it proved to be a really popular method. And we'll definitely continue with that. In, I guess, answer to your question about the sense of belonging. So, you know, for me, ResLife teams play an absolutely crucial role in this. And when I reference team, I talk about our full-time staff members who plan everything, our eager ResLife assistants who are always keen to make a difference, but actually most of the time we'll take up the position because an RLA made a difference to them and they want to do the same for others. And also, like I mentioned, the whole exec team running collaboration with LUU. And for them, it's often their first experience of a leadership position. Um, and of course, our wardens, who are often the first point of contact for many students presenting with questions ranging from how do I use laundry services to I'm not feeling particularly well and who can I talk to? So I think all of those areas, no matter how significant they might seem to your eye, are pretty fundamental in that transition to, through and out of university. And I kind of see them as subtle touch points. And when they're all added up, 
they really contribute to this kind of solid and robust holistic student experience. Lovely. Thank you. I was just fascinated to hear that point about, you know, we may well see two sort of extremes of behaviour. Some young people will be rearing to get to university to potentially push boundaries and to really go for it. And there are those that may not even want to sort of come out of their bedroom or lack confidence to do that. And it was just fascinating that you're thinking about that whole spectrum. That was fascinating. Thank you. And Anita, what do you think accommodation providers can do to make sure all students, including internationals, for example, feel like they belong? Yeah, I think circling back to the role of the parents, the parents have a very critical role to play for the students. They need to feel comfortable and content with what their child is doing. We host a briefing for our students Um, which involves the parents letting them know how safe our accommodation, how safe our education offer is. And I think private providers should really look at the role of the parent and how they can engage with them more. So parent briefings are often a usual favourite and they go down very well. I think the thing that you can't kind of assume providers will, will do is actually make that massive welcome experience. It's really easy to think the students want to move in, they want a key, they want to go straight to their room, they want to settle down and they want to go meet friends. But actually, they want to also meet you. They want to meet the team. So I think starting at a point of welcome and making sure that the key team players are very clearly identified. Who is the manager? Who is the facilities coordinator? Who's going to be the kitchen cleaner? It's all those sorts of things that are very important to the student. I think having a really clear onboarding process and and we've got something called the accommodation pass. So it's something they get to complete before they arrive. Uh, And why we send it to them before they arrive is because that's the time they're most excited and they'll read it and they'll complete it. And we put all the key bits in there of all this information about who's who, where to go, what to do, how to sign up for a GP, etc. I think having really clear signage and marketing comms around uh, activities and support. And whilst this seems like a bit of a boring point, I I know lots of private providers and universities put on a range of activities. And I think that organised fun element is, um, is something we don't shout out enough about. So it's how we're making that incredibly easy for students to access. And I'd really kind of focus on multiple streams, you know, single person events, flat events, group events, alcohol free events. And at the university, we're running with all of those. Um, So similar to Rebecca, we have a, a community warden scheme, a hall rep scheme, a student mental scheme. And I think private providers, what they should really kind of home in on is getting in touch with the university, finding out what they do and seeing how they can access those services for the students um, in, instead of trying to replicate. Peer-to-peer is also very, very critical. So at the student mentors that I mentioned, quite a few schemes that we have, we recruit directly from the students because we recognise actually that peer-to-peer point is so much more well-received. So that's really important. And I think if you live in a big city, a fun city, which most universities are, is getting students committed to the city. So how are we introducing the world of Leeds or Bristol or Birmingham to them? Are we doing a genuine city tour or are we showing them the bits that we think that they should see, such as IKEA? Everyone has a coach trip to IKEA and actually (laughs) what students want to see is, um, you know, the local Black Country Museum as opposed to IKEA. Uh, In summary, Darren, kind of lots of things need to be shared with this cohort of students. Don't dismiss the role of a parent and the role of a peer-to-peer. I was just going to just pick up a couple of points there you've said. Um, 
Firstly, the peer-to-peer point. You know, we, we, we do hear a lot about students supporting students. We see campaigns such as look after your mate, don't we? Um, what's on your mind when you're setting those boundaries up for that peer-to-peer support? That is a very good question because in our student mentor scheme, so this is a group of students who are are recruited. So if um, you are a little bit anxious, you want to find some friends, our student mentors would be your first responders. We do have very clear guidelines for those student mentors that if at any point that student that's speaking with them is at a point of crisis and we have a matrix that they would need to look at to know what, what crisis looks like, we have a complete fast-tracked into student services so that the experts can then pick it up. It's always a grey area, but I've found through experience and through good management, we don't cross those boundaries. So whilst we have student mentors that, you know, run with this service and are fantastic to do that peer-to-peer, we also have permanent staff that manage that delivery to make sure that we're also providing an appropriate service to students So for private providers, if you are looking to set up kind of a peer-to-peer support setup, you should really engage with your local university and see what they've already got. Lovely, thank you. And the other point I wanted to pick up on, the students want to meet the team as well. You know, they want to meet the people who will be looking after them in many ways for the sort of next nine, ten months. So I was just going to ask, I mean, it's been a tough time for accommodation teams. I just wondered what support you feel they need so that they can keep on delivering for their students? Yeah, I think it has been a very tough 18 months, hasn't it? We seem to have been classified as a key worker over the last year, and that's always quite nuts because you underestimate the role of accommodation that it has in a student's life. I think the teams that work in accommodation do it because they love what they do, because we genuinely love that we help students succeed. I think for our staffs, it's taking them back, doing a a proper kind of heart-to-heart briefing and and letting them recharge for September, making a real kind of song and dance about our team and how critical they are to the students in a a kind of meet the team session or, or a fun workshop for the students that they can just drop into would be enough. You've got to look after the welfare of your team members, especially now as um. We're constantly being challenged with ongoing DFE guidance, you know, such as self-isolation and quarantine and all those extra bits of demanding DFE guidance that we now need to implement. But I think the nature of our sector, Darren, is the people that we employ to work in accommodation are just phenomenal. Well said. (laughs) In the results of the uh, the recent Unite Students Applicant Survey that I referenced earlier, we also saw a modest drop in applicants' well-being and a greater demand for well-being support from staff uh, and counselling services. So coming to you again, Anita, is this something that universities are prepared for for this academic year? Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. And I think that we've put many things in place over kind of the last 18 months, um, which will help to enable students, you know, be well supported. So that's student services, that's accommodation services, our admissions team, you know, our private providers have also done a lot. But I think, you know, we also need to be prepared that people are coming to us of quite a tough year. And if you think about something as simple as Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like we've all had some of our basic needs, you know, those of touch, sense of reality, safety and security, they've all been whipped away because of this global pandemic. 
And there's a massive disturbance in how we're all doing in terms of national and global. So when you add that into the realities of starting a new phase of life, such as an undergrad student, these new experiences away from the safety net of home, it's a recipe for disappointment, loneliness, anxiety, stress and more. So we are geared up to kind of fill in the gaps. But we recognise that's not just our students, that's our staff, that's our colleagues, that's our family. We've put in a a kind of a wraparound support for, for these students, but it's all about finding a balance because we can't be everything to everybody. So it's around how are we linking in with what's already there? So um, the NHS, for example, are doing a huge amount of work around this. Um, friendship groups, you know, private providers. is How are we all coordinating so that we can put this massive set of arms around the students to say, we're here and we're ready for you to succeed for the next year? Lovely. Thank you, Anita. Rebecca, very, very much the same question to you, really. So, you know, there's this greater demand for well-being support. How are the how is the University of Leeds thinking about that? Just like Anita, I'd say, yes, we're definitely thinking a lot about it and absolutely prepared. And even though I've only been with the University of Leeds about eight months now, I've actually been really amazed at how quick we can triage a student to the service or person that they need to get support that they need, no matter if it's academic support, financial support or well-being, mental health support. So that has been really, really impressive because... There's such a range of options available to students at the University of Leeds, whether they need to contact somebody for an emergency call. um, And they've also utilised, like many other universities, uh, counselling sessions via Teams or Zoom. And they've seen an increase of students decide to take that option because you can choose to have your camera off and they don't see your face and it feels like a more comfortable space. So I think they're going to utilise more of that. And so, yes, absolutely ready for that. But just to touch on Anita's point about that kind of, I love the analogy of this kind of wraparound support for all students and welcome them almost like a great big hug. The, the thing that I often think a lot about are the students who are in uh, private providers where it's direct let and there isn't a relationship with the university and perhaps they don't know the key services that are available or they don't know how to signpost students effectively. They're the things that keep me awake at night and wondering how can we do better and reach more students in those operators or in those residences? Because I think what's important is that all students have the same equity of service, that they have the same opportunities to engage with support they need, no matter what that is. Unite's student services offering, I believe, is undergoing a, a refresh for the new academic year. Can you share some more details about that, please, Claire? Yes, absolutely. So over the last three months, we've been reviewing the service with help of uh, one of the the UK's leading consultants in this field, Levi Pay. And we're determined to, to really make the service work as best it possibly can for our students and for our teams in the properties where they're living. I mean, obviously, we want to build on our reputation and continue to be the leaders on student welfare in the sector. But we're really refreshing what student support looks like. The service is actually relaunching at Unite as student support. It's really sort of a step forward in the maturity of the service and it complements the focus on community this year. Features will include things like professional standards, including new policies and protocols on key compliance issues like safeguarding, risk management and disability related adjustments. But most importantly, it's about really embedding student welfare within our service and the development of a proactive well-being offer. So for students, it should feel as though Unite actively cares about their well-being and wants them to succeed. And for us, we're there when our students need us, supporting them to access the right help, 
through our, our HE partners and the support services at university and allowing us to take care of all the practicalities within our control. We've done this well for a number of years. We have um, student support managers within every region and actually re- more recently in every property we have a welfare lead for our students to speak to. But I think the the refresh of the service, the relaunch of student support really puts us in a strong position for supporting our customers even better. Thank you, Claire. Moving to a different topic now, many of the plans we have discussed will depend on where we're at with the pandemic in September, as Anita alluded to earlier. We've seen over the past year how quickly guidance can change. So I'm keen to hear how you might adapt your welcome plans in the event, uh, for example, of travel restrictions, preventing international arrivals, or even the return of mandatory social distancing. Anita, I'd like to come to you first on that point. How are you thinking about that? Yeah, of course. I'll probably start by saying we're firmly planning for a face-to-face provision and, and we're very much hoping that, that we can continue doing that. That said, the last 18 months has taught us that we can do phenomenal things very quickly and we have the right things to make social distancing signage clear. We've got the right animations to communicate it at all different levels and we've got the flexibility that you know we've never experienced before and I think that goes through the UK. I think we're all planning for a face-to-face provision. That said, we know that it's going to be a bit tricky for our international students. You know, we've got Amber List, we've got Red List. Now, for Amber List students, you know, we've got a a really good welcome plan for them. Uh, We've got a self-isolation plan where they're going to be really looked after. It's it's not just going to be a, here, you're stuck in your room for 10 days. There's a genuine 10-day plan that we're hoping to offer them, which is going to really encourage them to you know, get in touch with our virtual community. It is a challenge about our red list countries. And I think we need to be honest about that. There's going to be some disruption there around students. And when they arrive, we are very agile and we respond to any changing guidance when it comes out. But currently, the, the way that it's set up for international students to quarantine in a hotel, I think we all know there's not enough rooms. And that's going to be a little bit of a sticky point, which we are really desperately hoping for future guidance on that and we're really keen to see what the Scottish pilot delivers. We're ready for whatever happens but we are hoping for as much normality as as possible and I think the news from PHE around vaccines really does give us that. Lovely thank you and I was just thinking about that that you you referenced the Scottish pilot Uh, what what is that specifically? Yeah, so this is a pilot of where university accommodation is being trialled as a quarantine facility. There's lots of interesting guidance in there, which university folk aren't actually used to doing. So providing the level of meals um, that would be required under that strict quarantine provision, the way that we transport students from the airport to the accommodation is also, as you'd imagine, very strict. And the way that we would support those students is also very quite prescriptive. Providers over in Scotland, I can firmly say they've looked at the guidance and some have said it's it's quite exhaustive and they can't support it. So what we're really hoping down in Birmingham is they do the pilot and recommendations are made on the back of it that hopefully, you know, the university sector can grip up and many of us can run with it and offer something for students coming from Red List. Failing that, the University of Birmingham made a commitment that anybody 
that had to self-isolate on arrival from a red list country would be refunded their quarantine payment. I think that's a really big step for the university because that's not just for university accommodated students. That's for anybody arrives that has to go through that horrible journey. Fascinating. Thank you very much, Anita. Um, Rebecca, how are you thinking about the challenges uh, the ongoing pandemic is uh, presenting and will continue to present? I mean, I think Anita summed it up really nicely, actually. And a lot of things that she, she mentioned are very much at the forefront of our minds as well. When I joined the university in November and I you know, caught up with my boss and he talked about the things they've been doing over the previous year, my first question to everybody was, well, how are you still standing? Because I've been completely amazed at how we've had to adapt to the constant change. And often because government guidance might have not come out until a Friday evening or there's a brief on a Sunday night and the next day everyone goes to work and says, right, we flex again. And it is right, there are going to be still some travel restrictions for international students and, and we will welcome them as soon as they're ready to come and can get here. If mandatory social distancing is reintroduced, we'll be ready for that as well. We have the foundations of some brilliant experience over the last 18 months of dealing with this pandemic. And so we will continue to do that. There are less unknowns in comparison to March 2020 when none of us knew what we had to do because none of us had been through this before and there was so much uncertainty. Going into, unfortunately, another year of this, albeit let's hope it's not quite as bad, um, we have that foundation and that experience and more expertise in the space. Can I just ask a follow-up and just say, in terms of you know your agility that you reference, how do you communicate to students? So what, what are the communication channels you're using? Because it must be pretty confusing for, for students and parents, really. Yeah, and that's a really great question. Actually, I think communication has been key to so many elements of this and, and even communication to staff as well. How we communicate to students, so obviously there's official university comms that will come via email, there'll be statements on websites, there'll be updated FAQs, social media, of course, is going to be used as well. We will send our own internal comms to students via the resources that we have. I would say I've had more meetings about communications and informing students about particular things that might happen than I've ever had before. And we have some brilliant people in our own marketing team who are very good at kind of forecasting what is the next big thing that the university needs to think about or that might impact us in accommodation. And so all of those methods, I think there's no one way of finding out a certain thing. We have to actually use multiple methods. And, you know, interestingly, like lots of universities, we provided a rebate for a significant period of time. And we're still amazed. We're still getting questions from students who are saying, oh, I didn't know there was a rebate. Um, Am I entitled to this? It's completely fascinating how they find information, but all methods are being explored and used. Thank you very much. Claire, what are your thoughts on the the points that have been raised by Anita and Rebecca? Well, firstly, it's really positive to hear that we're all broadly aligned in our approach and our thinking. And I know that our sort of underlying message is that we're experienced and we're ready for this. Just the same, we're hoping that we can continue with everything we've got planned in a face-to-face real-life environment. But we are ready for any changes that come our way. And we've got a dedicated COVID safety team that keep um, the business up to date with any government announcements and info from PHE. Additionally, you know, we are supporting our customers who are having to quarantine from Ambliss countries and then some real practical stuff in our properties. So we're still encouraging sensible COVID safe practices for our staff and for our students. We've got good signage in place. We've got all of our comms prepared so that 
if anything does change in regards to the pandemic and and any future lockdowns, then we're we're ready to go with it straight away. Thank you very much, Claire. And finally, uh, another question for all three of you. What part of your welcome plans are you most excited to put into action? Rebecca, I'll start with you, if I may. I'm excited about so much of our welcome plans. It's almost hard to pick one because I started my position in the middle of a pandemic where the majority of people have been working at home. The campus feels a little bit quiet. It doesn't feel the normal hustle and bustle of a university that you would normally expect to have. So for me, I'm really excited to see all our welcome activity from the Res Life team um, start to kick off and see students interacting with each other and, I guess, progress towards that sense of normality that we're all craving. Thank you, Rebecca. And coming to you, Anita? Yeah, so mine's a bit of a boring answer. My excitement is on the first day of arrivals. So it's the day that everybody turns up to their accommodation and it's when you get to see those little chats happen between people they don't know. That's my favourite part and it has been my favourite part for the years I've been in accommodation and COVID hasn't changed that. That's the part I'm looking forward to the most. And finally, Claire. Again, it's a really sort of difficult one to choose but I think for me it's our resident ambassador programme and really seeing that come to life because we're using this to build on the communities that have been started online um, ahead of arrival and and we'll use our RAs to really um, engage with our students to get them settled in to get them familiar with university the local area the properties and that goes for everyone from first years all the way through to postgrads and and people that are returning to us for for another year because I think the last year was so different and disruptive for them as well as you know the RA program bringing employment to our to our students and giving them that experience that will enhance their their university life as well as the university life of their peers. Lovely. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm afraid that that's all we have time for today. Uh, But thank you very much to our guests for your time and all of your insights. We'll be taking a break for August before our new season begins in September. Thank you to all our listeners for your support throughout this academic year. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for all our latest higher education content including the latest information resources about Unite's preparations for the new academic year. We'll see you in September. So until then, have a great summer and thank you again for listening.